You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast, presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall. And boy, do we got a lot to talk about today. Yeah. Wow. Things really have taken a turn here. They have. I don't think anybody certainly saw that type of loss coming for Florida. Maybe some of the biggest critics would have predicted an upset by South Carolina, which wouldn't have been too far-fetched given the way the, the the Gators had played it recently. But as Dan Mullen alluded to in his press conference Monday, which we'll talk about, it was at that point that there were really no excuses that he could make or no positive things that he could try to nitpick with. He knew that they were worse as a team than they had been earlier in the year, and something had to be done. Now, there's a lot of Florida fans that have their opinions about what needs to be done about the product right now, but... The decision that Dan Mullen made on Sunday was to move on from defensive coordinator Todd Grantham and run game coordinator offensive line coach John Hevesy. One decision I think that people expected, another that I think folks didn't really feel like Mullen would actually make, and that was cutting ties with the guy that he'd been coaching with for 21 years. So on today's episode, we'll discuss Dan Mullen's decision, the impact of it, where we think the Gators go from here, and Graham and I will also preview uh, hoops as the Gators open their season tonight in the Exact Tech Arena. But Graham, I mean, we don't have to talk much about the game because I think folks want to hear our reaction and, and, and what the the mood was like Monday at Mullen's press conference, but that really set everything into motion. Obviously, if the Gators go out and win in Columbia and try to kind of turn the season around and, and potentially end it on a four-game win streak, then maybe we don't see these decisions made. But Dan Mullen basically admitted Monday that he had already decided that he was going to move on from Grantham and Hevesy at the end of the year. And because they lost another game in the fashion that they lost, the losing streak that they're on now, and as he said, for the health of everybody in the program – and all the players that they that he just felt like it was time to make this change now, not not wait, and uh, that that's kind of where we're at. And again, I I saw Grantham coming. I I didn't really know if he would actually part ways from Hevesy. I, I don't think that that's the only issue right now going on on the offensive side of the ball. But clearly, that was the change that he wanted to make. I totally understand the surprise with Hevesy because you talk about the two plus decades of working together. I think it's fair to wonder, when you look at a coach like Dan Mullen, is he kind of a package deal? Because we know how much of this sport is a fraternity, how much these guys rely on the relationships so that you can streamline the communication. You have guys around you who understand what you like to do. So it really saves you some time as a head coach when you have that familiarity with guys. And look at John Hevesy, the roles that he's had throughout his coaching span with Dan Mullen. I mean, right now, let's start now, not just offensive line coach, but the run game coordinator. And you and I have talked a lot about how good 
this team has been at running the football this season. I mean, they were number one, then number three nationally for a time being. And really, we've seen that trail off as well, along with a lot of consistency issues on the offensive line, some that I think we can agree are not John Hevesy's fault. But you talk about just too many things culminating together. It does make sense from a football perspective. But like I said, the fraternity aspect, I think, makes this move extremely interesting because, yeah, like Grantham, I think it's a fair question to ask whether John Hevesy really would have not been with this program when the calendar turned to 2022 because of that relationship with Mullen. I think a lot of people looked at Grantham, saw his contract expiring, and figured that, oh, at the end of the year, this guy's going to be out the door. But to part ways with John Hevesy, period, let alone in the middle of the season, to me kind of spelled a desperation move in a sense by Dan Mullen, but also an understanding that he has to make these changes. And send a message. Yeah, it sends a message, but he has to do things like this, cut ties with people who, and he said this Monday, aren't just colleagues now, but friends. And I mean, let's talk about Todd Grantham. They built a house next to each other. His neighbor, in a sense, to part ways with those guys Mm. is, I think, a huge message that he's serious about winning at Florida. Because a lot of people have called into question, and you alluded to that in the introduction here, people have opinions about what should happen with Dan Mullen. And a lot of them right now are, should he even be at Florida moving forward? Should he be one of the guys out the door? And he was asked about that. How certain of you are you that you are not the problem at Florida and you know he took a lot of blame he said he bared responsibility for everything that went wrong because he's the head coach but he thinks he's confident that he can find the solutions to these issues at Florida and that remains to be seen right now and and part of it is regaining the trust and re-energizing a fan base that not too long ago was extremely elated to have Dan Mullen as head coach and was excited for the future and had a promising recruiting class, not perfect, but a promising recruiting class with five-star prospects. They have to regain that, and and Dan Mullen realizes that it it starts and ends with him right now. And, And the writing was on the wall with Todd Grantham. I think that had already been the case after the LSU game. The defense didn't play that poorly against Georgia, aside from their two reactions to the turnovers that UGA scored on. But then they go out there to South Carolina and give up the most points the Gamecocks have ever scored in this series. They give up almost 300 yards rushing for the second time in three games and the most total yards that they've given up all season. And and at that point, it's, it's, it's just time. I, I don't think these players would have wanted to continue to play for him and play in this scheme. Now, with Hevesy, it's it's interesting because Mullen, his reasoning basically that he gave is that we've been one of the best rushing teams in the country this year, but we haven't run the ball consistently with John in the offensive line. So he's basically putting that on the offensive line. Now, I do think that they're certainly not pushing the pile and getting and opening the type of holes maybe that they were earlier in the year, but they also don't have Ethan White, and they also last week had a lot of guys that were dealing with the flu. Now, that's not an excuse for what we saw Saturday, but I just putting all that on John, I don't think is fair. I, I think that they're clearly not running the ball like they need to be. 
that falls on Dan and that falls on Greg Knox as well. It's not just, I know he's the run game coordinator, but they also lead the country in yards per rush. So it's not like they can't run the ball. They're not giving Damian Pierce and some of these other guys the carries that they deserve. So does some of that fall on Mullins' uh, lack of confidence that Hebsey's offensive line is going to be able to push the pile? Yes. I, but I think that more of the issue for Hebsey, what the real criticism is, is when you do have guys go out like Ethan White and some of the other starters that we've seen miss time this season, you don't have the depth and development behind your top six linemen to really be able to to be the type of offensive line you need to be in the SEC. And that's the problem. And it's a recruiting issue. And if we all know that's been Hevesy's bugaboo since he's been here. He hasn't signed a top 100 offensive lineman since Richard Garage, and that one even his commit. So recruiting has been the issue, but everybody, obviously more than anyone, Mullen, has just given him the vote of confidence that no matter who he gets here, he's going to be able to coach them up and develop them to where we're going to have the type of line that we need and the depth that we need. But for Florida, they don't have that. And when they have one or two guys go out, they're not able to to play at that same standard. And to me, I think that's as much as anything why Hevesy's got to go. And if you're Dan Mullen trying to regain a portion of your locker room, you can't go out there in the media and publicly talk about one of your head coaches not recruiting well enough. Because they're going to look at that and say, well, that means that he didn't recruit good enough players. Well, that's us. That means he thinks we're not good enough to be here at Florida. That's how they're going to take that message right now. They're looking for a vote of confidence and to to circle it back to recruiting. That's not something they're going to want to hear from their head coach right now. But we have been following this program for four years, for a long time, since before Dan Mullen got back here. And you understand the recruiting has not been what it needs to be to compete with the likes of Clemson, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama. Now, we thought they would be able to compete against the likes of South Carolina, and the fact that they have gotten worse... Kentucky. Yeah, to the worse than those levels, I think, is obviously an indictment, but shows that it's a culmination, again, to use that word, of issues with John Hevesy. He didn't recruit well enough to get depth in the ranks. He recruited well enough to get starting talent and then had previous relationships with a former player in Stuart Reese to get him back. Yeah, so benefited from the portal. And another transfer before they even got here in John DeLance, still at right tackle. They haven't been able to beat him out despite his issues. And then you've seen guys, three of those guys in that same recruiting class, emerge as starters, really usurp some of the other guys that landed here before them. And now we're seeing kind of the same type of issues that I would say are similar that you see with Anthony Richardson, where they're good enough to play right now, but they shouldn't be expected to go out there and dominate the likes of a Georgia front. Uh, you know, you name it. I mean, we thought Kentucky again in South Carolina, but they clearly, through two-thirds of the season, have been worn down, injured, like you mentioned with the case with Ethan White, and there's no one behind them that can take some of that burden off of them. And that, again, comes down to recruiting. Kirby Smart said it a couple weeks ago, and it got under the skin of probably Dan Mullen, but certainly a lot of Florida fans out there, when he said that you can be the greatest coach in the world, but you're not going to out-scheme recruiting. And that is totally true with Florida's offensive line right now, that they could be as developed as John Hevesy could do. He could work... Like, like a stone foresight. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's a guy who really developed, and we've seen other guys... There's just, there's just not enough of them. There's just not enough of them, and you're not going to eventually 
be able to outlast as the season goes on these these SEC defensive linemen who are four five star guys blue chip prospects who are now in let's be honest better facilities and getting similar if not better coaching because now that they've sat here and fired the offensive line coach and the defensive coordinator I think it is fair to now say that there is better coaching out there in the SEC because those are no longer our words. It's Dan Mullen's own admission that the coaching was not adequate at Florida. And now you're seeing, like I said, a culmination of all of the issues, and it does start with recruiting. Dan Mullen has to get someone in here at both of those positions that can land those four, five-star guys that are going to build the depth in the ranks, but it's not going to be an overnight fix, and that's part of also... I think a lot of the frustration because going into next season, people are going to be expecting an overnight fix. And, you know, that's not as possible as people want necessarily. Now, Dan Mullen's going to have a graduate assistant work with the offensive line for the remainder of the season, although he did say that he will be working with that position group as well and kind of overseeing it there. So I think anyone may be worried about the fact that there is a grad assistant there. He's been within the program for two years, and Dan is going to be there to make sure that everything's kind of up to par. Now, on the defensive side, I think maybe a little bit of a surprise by who Dan decided to give play-calling duties to, but not really when you look at it. And I think, obviously, you look at his staff, had three guys on it with D.C. experience, and Wesley McGriff, who had been a D.C. at Ole Miss and Auburn, and then Tyson Summers, the quality control assistant, who's been a D.C. and a head coach in his coaching career. And then, obviously, the special assistant to the head coach, Paul Pascaloni, who former UConn and Syracuse coach, but most recently defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions right before he got to UF. So uh, any of those guys Mullen could have given these play-calling responsibilities to. Instead, he gives it to 31-year-old Christian Robinson. Now why? Some folks are like, why would you hand over the defense to a guy that young who doesn't have the experience? Because he needs it. And that's exactly, I think, why Mullen is doing this. And it's he's able to because of the luxury of having Pascaloni on the staff. Wesley McGriff and Tyson Summers don't need interim defensive coordinator at Florida on their resume to boost it. They have enough experience in their coaching career to go out and get the jobs that they want. Christian Robinson at 31 years old, a guy who's been in this program for four years and was also with Dan Mullen for a year at Mississippi State, he's put in the time with Dan. And this is kind of his reward. Remember, he decided not to go to Michigan and stayed at Florida with the pay raise. And part of that, I think, was an opportunity to be able to move up in the coaching ranks and get these kind of opportunities. Now, again, because he's 31 years old and he's never called a game before, you don't want to just completely hand it over to him. So to be able to have Pascaloni move up and be elevated to an on-field role where he's able to kind of oversee things just like Mullen is with the offensive line and, and make sure everything's up to par and help Christian if he's having any difficulties, I, I think it's a, a, a perfect situation to end a season that's already a wash. And I, I think for Christian Robinson, it, it, again, it's kind of something that he can use to, to add to his resume. And it's, it's part of something that, that Mullen can sell as far as being able to develop the systems that put in the time with him. And that's what something I asked him about yesterday because he didn't really have any regrets for keeping Todd Grantham this long. He he said as much on Monday, but it is something that he can go sell to the next defensive coordinator is that 
When everybody wanted me to fire him last year, I didn't. And I stuck by him. I never threw him under the bus. Uh, Even when people wanted me to fire him in the middle of the year, I still kept giving him time, still wasn't going to cut ties. And that's what he can tell the next DC. You come here, you're going to get a full contract. I'm going to let you try to coach it out. And even when you have some issues or the first sign of trouble, I'm not just going to immediately pull the plug. And Mullen admitted that he is sometimes too loyal to it, and sometimes it's a knock against him. But that is also why he's had so many assistant coaches that have worked with him for so long. So it is going to be interesting to see what type of candidates they can attract. But Mullen seems to think that he's going to have a long list of guys who want to interview for the job. And that should make sense. We've talked about Dan Mullen's resume in the SEC. When you talk about Dan Mullen, I think you have earned also one of the labels of security in the SEC. You talk about being the second longest tenured coach in the conference. I mean, when there's a lot of turnover, a high rate, that can certainly drive people off. But we've heard time and time again that the challenge brings out the best in coaches. And I think that is true. And you saw Dan Mullen, I think, take that approach Monday. He said, this is Florida. You've heard that mantra along with the Gator standard. This should attract top talent who wants to come and work here. And, you know, it's one thing to say it. Obviously, you're going to have to go out there and do it. But you know, when you talk about the defensive coordinator, I think that the trust is the best factor that Dan Mullen really has going for him. He has trusted the coordinators to really fulfill that duty and hasn't stripped them of play calling, any other titles like that. Really, he's rewarded them with other titles throughout his career. And that Brian is Johnson. Yeah. Absolutely. That's absolutely attractive to come and work for something like that. You even talk about John Hevesy. He was co-OC for a while when he was at Mississippi State. So that is something that is certainly tantalizing as an assistant coach to come in here and realize that you can work your way up. And and then, like, yeah, you mentioned Brian Johnson, maybe go to the NFL right from college before even becoming a head coach. But just reap those rewards yeah, absolutely. of putting in the time. Absolutely. But when it comes to, I think, what a lot of people want, they want a coach sometimes who is going to be able to have the, I guess not threat, but the ability to maybe take some of those things away. And when you have loyalty involved, that makes it, I think, a little bit more difficult. I mentioned Grantham and him being neighbors. It makes it a little bit tougher to say, hey, you're no longer calling plays. It's for the best of the team midseason. But we actually have seen that really recently. It's kind of rare, but you look at Ohio State right now. They lost a game early in the season, second game of the season, to Oregon. And those first three games, they were allowing four touchdowns a game. And their defensive coordinator, Kerry Coombs, had play-calling duties taken away from him by Ryan Day, and he moved up into the box. And they shuffled that, and now they're undefeated, have won six straight games, eight and one, and have a chance at the college football playoff, number one in the Big Ten East. So you certainly look at how it can change a team early in the season if you do decide to make that change. And I think it has right now a lot of people wondering what could have been if this decision was made before the season was, not to call it lost, but before a lot of the expectations were off the table. Absolutely. Now, when we come back from this uh, first break, we'll talk about where the Gators go from here for the remainder of the season, what these coaching changes could mean for the future. And we'll also talk about some potential candidates for the defensive coordinator and offensive line openings here at Florida. We'll be right back after this break. (laughs) 
This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. And obviously with Christian Robinson now getting play calling duties for the defense. I think part of that as well, Graham, is the fact that he's been in Grantham's system, played for him at Georgia, and they're not going to make a scheme change right here at the end of the season. Now, I do think they will make one after the year, but they're not going to switch a lot of things up. So be able to have a guy that can still call some of the same things that these players are used to, keep all the terminology certainly the same. That makes sense from that standpoint. But going into the offseason, or maybe even before the offseason, I mean, Dan's going to announce his new assistance after the regular season is his plan. Now, he's already started that process, and he plans to maybe interview candidates, it sounds like, in the latter part of the game weeks that he's preparing for Saturday. So, We've already seen some candidate names out there. I've put out my five list, and we'll get into the offensive line uh, candidates as well. But where do you think Dan goes from here? Because first of all, the, there is that this discussion and dynamic of can you attract a top candidate knowing that he could come here and if things don't go well, be out in a year or two? And is, is that something that he has to consider, especially if he's trying to move up in his coaching career if you're talking about a young guy? Now, is Dan going to go that route? Is he going to go for a more experienced veteran coach that is going to be able to come in and fix this product right away and maybe isn't as worried or as bothered by the fact that there is that risk of things not working out in Gainesville? 
that remains to be seen. But I do think Mullen's got some interesting candidates out there, obviously some obvious names. But do you expect him to, to hire a veteran guy, someone, someone in Todd Grantham's age bracket? Do you think he'll go with a young, kind of innovative coach? I'm interested to see what Dan does. I'm really interested to see what he does, too, because I think it's going to be a loyal hire. But I don't know if the way that this is ex- experiment has gone the first four years that you can really do that again without raising some of the same criticisms that you just evoked for the last two years. I am really interested because the scheme argument for Christian Robinson, he's got everything going for him except really that in my mind, that devotion to the Todd Grantham scheme. He would really have to, I think, radically change what he wants to do on defense and I don't know if that's something that he's capable of doing right now, this early in his coaching career, but right now, you know, what does he really have to lose in a sense? Because I think everyone who is on this coaching staff coming into next year has to be working under the premise of, if this doesn't work out this season, I'm not going to be back. And there are so many coaches out there already operating under those pretenses that I understand the concern for being able to get a dynamic hire in here, but that's part of the job. And Dan Mullins used cliches like that before saying, Hey, you know, the pressure, if you're not going to, if that's not going to build you up, you know, don't come here. Well, we won't bring you, you know, he used that same type of cliche before South Carolina. If you're not going to compete, you don't have to get on the bus and come on over. So that same thinking I think applies to a defensive coordinator. Now, are you going to be able to get that out of an older guy who maybe has already reached the pinnacle of the profession? And I mean, working a decade in the SEC, coaching in the NFL, you name it, already established their reputation. Are you really going to get that? Because I think right now, that may also come with the risk of complacency and some also archaic thinking because a failure to adapt is almost criminal in college football. If you're not adapting, you are dying right now. We have seen coaches fail to do it and lose their jobs time and time again. And I do think it becomes a little bit more difficult. No bias here. I I love older people. Don't get me wrong. But I do think it just becomes a little bit more difficult to do when someone has already worked two decades plus in the profession. It's more like the can't teach an old dog new tricks type saying. So I think a younger mind, early 40s, similar to Dan Mullen's age, has that fire looking to maybe change the reputation. You know, I see a lot of people lusting after Lane Kiffin because he embodies, I think, what people are craving out of a coach. Someone who really has lost it all in a sense and is regaining, rebuilding. They're in that second push of their career, which we've seen out of guys like Nick Saban who were hot and then went to the NFL and really lost, I think, a lot of their reputation and had to repair that. And you saw that next gear, that fire, culminate in something massive, something beautiful. And you're looking for that if you are a fan. But it's so hard to find. You have to find the right hire. And not to keep this going, but doing it amongst the early signing period is extremely difficult. That's another thing I think a lot of people miss about some of these hires that are and firings that are happening mid-season is a lot of them are predicated and influenced by the early signing period. Having that class intact, making sure that you can make these decisions 
before December, before it all falls apart, so you can have someone in place and restore the class, that is a massive factor right now. Some people will call it an unintended consequence, but I think it could be a good thing because you're no longer selling recruits on someone who's not going to coach them. You're going to either have your staff in place or there's going to be that rightful uncertainty that could lead you not to get those top prospects that we were just talking about. So Dan Mullen is between a rock and a hard place where he's motivated to find that young, right, perfect hire at two positions now while wanting to do it quickly, while also wanting to salvage the season. So he has a whole lot in front of him. He has to operate in a similar fashion to the way that he did when he got hired at Florida and hit the trail immediately for those three weeks. But now he has to do that for six weeks plus if he wants to do everything he plans on doing in 2022. And you look at some of the candidates that have already been thrown out there, and there's there's a lot of different directions that the Gators can go. Graham mentioned going with a, a young guy or potentially trying to hire a veteran that can come in that, that's got that experience. And I know one name that's been thrown around a lot by Florida fans is Gene Chizik because he's a former Gator, played at UF, graduated from the school, and then is obviously right now looking for a job. He got out of coaching in 2016 where he was a DC at North Carolina because he wanted to see his son's high school career and be there for it. He had missed some of his other kids coming up and and some of their athletic events in high school. So that was important to him. That's why he got out of the game. But now his son is in college. He's willing to get back into it for the right opportunity and I, I certainly think coming to his alma mater would be that and, and would fit that bill but you're looking at a guy like you said Graham if you're if you're concerned potentially about age I mean he, he's 59 years old I mean that's not too old a little bit older than, than Grantham is but also a guy that's been a, a head coach twice won a national title signed three consecutive top 10 recruiting classes so you have to think He'll be able to help from that standpoint. He is a guy that is visible on TV every single week, so recruits are going to know him. I definitely think that that he's someone that, that's out there. But he's just a name I've seen Florida fans mention a lot. Uh, personally, I'm with you, Graham. I'd like to see them hire somebody more in their 40s, uh, maybe even, I guess, you know, late 30s, if, if you're willing to go someone a little bit younger. There's two names that I really like. Everybody wants... <laughs> or should I say everybody? Florida fans want Will Muschamp hired as the D.C. That's not happening. The former Florida head coach is not returning to the school as a defensive coordinator at the place where he used to be the boss at. So that's not happening. But how about his disciple? I think if you're looking for someone that's going to come and be a young, energetic coach, be able to help with recruiting and also have experience in the SEC as a DC. Travaris Robinson fits that bill and has also been at Florida. So being able to kind of work under Will Muschamp at Florida, at Auburn, and then be his defensive coordinator at South Carolina for five years, he knows everything that there is to know about that scheme and that scheme that Florida fans kind of want back here in Gainesville. And right now as a defensive backs coach at Miami, he's still – uh, has ties right here in the state. So he would make a lot of sense. He was interviewed for the defensive backs uh, position last year. So he's already been in communication with Mullen once before. A, a guy that I would also really, really like to see, Javaris Robinson is 40 years old, by the way. This guy, 42, probably a pipe dream. 
but I would just love it because of who he's a disciple of. Marquand Manuel, Eminem. Obviously, a lot of Florida fans would love to see that because he's a former player and because of what he's been able to do in the NFL coaching ranks. He's never coached in college. Past 17 years, he's been played or coached in the NFL. Uh, 17 of the last 20, actually, should I say. But he got his coaching start in Seattle. And then when Dan Quinn, the former Florida defensive coordinator, went to Seattle for the same role, he hired Marquand Manuel as an assistant secondary coach, promoted him. And then when he went to Atlanta, he hired him as his secondary coach and then promoted him to his defensive coordinator, where he served in that role for two years. Uh, the past couple seasons, he's been a defensive back coach in the NFL. Currently, he's with the uh, New York Jets coaching safeties. Uh, he's probably not interested in coming to the college ranks, right? A, a guy that's been in the league that long, but he hasn't been a defensive coordinator since he was with Quinn. And I think the opportunity to return to his alma mater, get a promotion, and then get a pay raise would probably be the only opportunity that he would consider coming to college for. So I do think it might be at least worth that call for Mullen because you're getting a guy that's going to bring Dan Quinn's scheme here. Again, part of that must-champ brand of defense. And I think if the Gators can tap back into that uh, with either Marquand Manuel or Travaris Robinson, I would love to see it. The other two guys that I put on my list, in addition to those two in Chiswick, were Kevin Steele and Charlie Strong. Now, I know that that's a name some Florida fans might like. So those are two names that some Florida fans might not like, and some of it might have to do with their age. Steel is 63, Strong is 61, so they're not kind of going that route. But obviously for Charlie Strong, he's already been in talks with Mullen in the past about joining his staff, and it never happened. Certainly you could think that that might happen again if he's looking to get out of Jacksonville and that experiment there. And then with Kevin Steele, a guy that has not been in the game this season after he was the interim coach at Tennessee and then didn't get retained by Josh Heupel, but a guy who's been a D.C. all throughout the SEC, a former Baylor coach. And if you're talking about maybe there being some hesitancy from coaches coming here knowing that they can only be here for one or two years, I think getting a guy like a Kevin Steele or even a Charlie Strong who – They've got, you know, if it comes here, that doesn't hurt them. They're at the tail end of their career. If they only come to Florida for one or two years, it's not like setting their career back by any means. And I think they would certainly be willing to, to gamble, so to speak, for an opportunity like that, maybe uh, less so than someone like Marquand Manuel. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Real quick, Graham, before I have you chime in, another guy that's been mentioned a lot, Doug Belk at Houston, the defensive coordinator there has has them in the top 10 in a lot of major categories. I would be interested to see what he could do here, but a guy that's 33 years old and he's only been a defensive coordinator calling plays for one season. So is that something that Mullen would be comfortable with? A, a lot of options out there for Mullen. That's just what we've talked about. I'm sure he's got a list that's got plenty more names. I'm certain he does. And search firms these days, we know how tapped in Scott Strickland is in the college football scene as being on the college football playoff committee, you got to imagine that he has his pulse out there for who are the names on the rise that they possibly could get in here to, like you said, want to, you know, nothing to lose here, have everything really to gain by coming to Florida. And I do think that is a select list because of all the factors around Dan Mullen. You really, 
the ones you mentioned, let me just start. Gene Chizik, I think, really goes against all the other factors that I had mentioned, in a sense, because, yeah, older, but... Has been out of the game. Yeah, has been out of the game, but has kept himself around the game and following the trends because of his TV role. You think that he would see what works and knows a lot of players and areas on the rise. And as you said, he familiar face out there for recruits to look at and say, oh, I've seen him before. He's respected in the game. I can listen to you. And Charismatic you, in a living room. Yeah, he's won national championships. And, and possibly, yeah, you mentioned nothing to lose here. While looking for the right situation, I do think that Gene Chizik would like to repair his reputation, I think, a little bit because has kind of gotten an unfair knock for not really being the orchestrator of that national championship there at Auburn with all the credit really kind of going to Cam Newton, obviously there. But I could understand why he would want to prove that he's a more stout defensive mind than he gets credit for. The game has really changed defensively in the last decade since he's been in it. And this would be a real way that he could show to his colleagues and more people, I think, nationally who may not know how in tune he really is with the current game. You know that he has friendships with guys like Chris Doring, who know how intelligent he really is at the sport, it just comes down to whether he's looking for another challenge and whether he thinks that coming back to your alma mater, where there are emotions attached to a job like this, is worth it for him. Because he could continue in on television for you know two plus decades and grow in that industry that he already has a really strong footing in and why want to risk it all in a sense to chase a dream but we see it all the time with athletes and, and coaches are no different in a sense having that look, competitive fire look at mac brown <laughs> and and tim tebow you know you see them return to what they love doing all the time when you thought they were out when you thought they had a great position in TV, that doesn't mean that they won't give up chasing it. And that could absolutely be true with Gene Chizik. So I do think it's worth a phone call to him, absolutely, as well as Steele. You know, I know older in his 60s now, but that may be a benefit because no no really family to uproot, grown children, yeah, nothing. You know, he could move down to sunny old Florida for a year and enjoy the landscape. Hey, the beach is less than an hour away, man. Cedar Key, you just hop on Archer Road. You Crescent know, you Beach, re- baby. Yeah, Crescent yeah. Beach. Oh, yeah. yeah. Crescent Beach is the, the farther one if you want that drive. But, you know, they're not going to have time because they're re- going to be recruiting all the time. That's right. So I think that, you know, you could convince a guy like that, and he's been around the program recently. He was here touring the university less than two years ago and and has a friendship with Scott Strickland. So I think that it's possible. And has history with Jay Jacobs as well. So yeah, absolutely. Jay Jacobs, who now is here, the former Auburn AD. Um, So also has history with Gene Chizik. Yeah. So you you mentioned that fraternity word coming into play again there, but you mentioned all the possible relationships that Florida could use at their disposal to bring guys in here. Charlie Strong is an interesting one to me because people have craved that one for a decade, really. And we know how it ended at Florida. And not to bring up old wounds here, but the Strong family really felt disrespected the way that they were treated at the end of Charlie's tenure here. And I think he has already proved that he's a capable head coach. He had success at USF, a place that is really, really hard to succeed at, and has recruited well. He's done a lot of things and is still extremely young. So I'm sure that he has that fire as well to return. But 
again, like Gene Chizik, I don't know if he wants that next phase of his career to really be at a place that he already has previous emotions attached to. I could understand why that wouldn't be the best case scenario for him. It would be his fifth stint at Florida. His fifth. I I just don't know if he really wants to do that. And the last one, we thought he was going to end up being here possibly even last year. Yeah. And then Jacksonville comes into the picture here. Well, Todd Grantham also came into the picture. (laughs) And that, you know, that's actually my next point here with why he could possibly want to land here. But I want to talk about Travaris Robinson first here because they kind of belong in the same category in a sense. Neither one wound up at Florida in the past year because of Todd Grantham. And now that he is no longer here, maybe Dan Mullen can make amends and do what he should have done. Do what he should have done before this thing became unraveled and Florida won just two of their last hey, 10 Power 5 games. I would be down for a co-DC staff, oh, Charlie man. Strong and Travaris Robinson. You would have, I think, a lot of respected presences for a group of players who really, I don't think, has had many relatable coaches in the Dan Mullen era. Because of the loyalty to Dan, he really hasn't brought in many player coaches, in a sense, here. And now that's a chance to make amends, to use that term again. He really has a chance to right some wrongs. And Travaris Robinson, the way that he's already been recruiting the area that they have shown some favoritism to, the South Florida area, I think that would just make a whole lot of sense, more so than Charlie Strong. I think that would be a great hire for Florida, but I don't know if it's his defensive coordinator. I think that, like you said, the co-DC thing is a much more desirable title right now because I don't think that the role of defensive coordinator is one that can be handled by just one person alone without having some of those arrogant issues that you did have under Todd Grantham, where, like we mentioned, an unwillingness to give up play calling duties or or change thing or bring other voices into the picture this is a chance to avoid that by having two people share the role so i could easily see if you made the code dc decision and there also is a prerequisite a precedent for dan mullen doing that he had a co-oc at mississippi state he has no problem giving dual titles to coaches and and now with the 10th assistant coach that you can have, he absolutely should be doing that, splitting up duties so that there's plenty of communication across the board. This is a chance to do that now that you've made this decision in early November to really think about it, figure out what you're going to do, and make sure that you make the right decision. It is going to be an interesting offseason, to say the least. Looking forward to see how this plays out over the weeks that we're going to follow this coaching search and what Dan Mullen decides to do as he tries to fix this for 2022. Now we're going to uh, see what this Florida basketball team has in store for this upcoming season. They open things up tonight in the Exact Tech Arena, as does the women's hoops team. Both of those games happening back to back. So, Graham, you got to see them in exhibition action last week. What were your thoughts, and, and what are your expectations for tonight's matchup? I actually have really high expectations for this team because I think we've seen recently how much maturity and veteran leadership really matter in college basketball. Not just in college basketball, but absolutely in a sport where five men or women are working together on the court. I think the chance that you can avoid immaturity issues and rest coming into play later in the season, you really are going to have a 
a better chance of competing when you get into March and April. And this team certainly seems to have that. To recap, they added four transfers, replaced four guys from last season's team who went elsewhere, and then added three freshmen, and one of whom, in Kowasi Reeves Jr., looks like they will be an integral part of this team this season. But tonight against Elon University, the Gators are going to start five transfers, which really is the state of collegiate athletics right now, but certainly college basketball. Transfers are everywhere, and if you watched last year, Baylor won on the backs of them. So they certainly can be an indicator for success. You've seen it time and time again. And look at Gonzaga with Nemhard. Yeah, and he's going to be a leader for them again this year, as well as Timmy. So you look at what Mike White has here in his seventh year at the helm in Florida. Really, if they can avoid injury and shoot the ball well, I think that is extremely key. This is not a fantastic shooting team across the board. They really are going to have to hit their shots or find some other way to get baskets inside around the rim. This is a team that could be really, really good on the defensive end, passing the basketball, playing unselfishly, hustling, rebounding. It really is going to come down to how good they can be on the offensive end, but they have a really, really high ceiling. And that's part of why, if you're a Florida fan, you should love things like the transfer portal. If you are one of those 80 power six schools, you should love the transfer portal because every single year, the schools like Fordham and Furman and Oral Roberts, when when players have great seasons there, coaches like Mike White and John Calipari and you name it across the country are scouring for talent that they can replace their guys who didn't really live up to expectations that season and bring in guys that can help them achieve their goals next year. And that is what the Gators appear to have done this season. So I understand why people will use terms like mass exodus and be negative up when they see transfers or former signees that they had high hopes for hitting the portal and leaving. But it really, if you replace them well, can often be a good thing. Now, are you going to see things as often as a guy like Joe Kim Noah have a rough freshman year and then, then that team believe in him, that he's going to come back and be better than someone else that they can add who had 20 points and seven rebounds somewhere else? Uh, if you ask me, I think that certainly is a concern because you may not be able to have those fantastic stories anymore. But it, absolutely, if you're one of those power six teams, you are going to benefit from the transfer portal And there may be a little bit March Madness parity lost in the mix. But if your team is Florida or Georgia or Alabama and Arkansas, you are going to benefit from the transfer portal. And that starts tonight for the Gators. And within the next week, Zach, a big one back here in the Exactic Arena, which we'll talk about more here later in the week when the Gators take on Florida State. Mm. Mike White's still looking for a win over the Seminoles, but looks like they have a good chance to get it this year. Yeah, anytime the rivals come to town, you got to bring your A game. I know Graham's going to bring his A game tonight. Make sure you guys go to Gatorsports.com to read his recap from the opener and make sure you guys follow along to all of our football coverage as we get down to the final three games of the regular season. We'll come back to you guys later this week to preview the Sanford matchup, get into some more football talk, but we had to address certainly the coaching firings on today's show and what it means for the future of this football program. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albuquerque.